All right, welcome back to the emergency goalies. Uh, again, nothing on the actual coming back to hockey front that is still totally in the air. And honestly, I don't know if we are going to have a season at all. But uh, today, when we're recording this, uh, the April the 4th, would have been the Blackhawks season finale in uh, New York against the Rangers. But obviously, that did not happen. And yeah, I don't know what else I can add about the current situation, Michael. It's I don't think anything there's no developments on that front. Yeah, I mean the only news that you know really came out recently, uh we did have all of the league commissioners from all of the major sports were meeting or well we're on a call with with the president today. Um, obviously we don't really have details on any of that, on what was said and everything. I assume, um, the administration was likely pushing the leaks to get back to business as usual as soon as possible, but, uh, I'm imagining they got a little bit of pushback on that. Um, I know, I know everybody's anxious, but... At this point, I I honestly don't see a season ever getting back off the ground here. Um, I just think it'll be, you know, I think we're we're looking at June at the very earliest, and more likely July or August before um, anything can really be put back together. And by that point, it's going to kind of be too late, and you you'd be threatening to affect the following season. So. I think that needs to be the priority is making sure that next season is as normal as possible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. I, I, I'm, I'd still love it if we could get to the point where, you know, we could get some sports back, but a month or two months into this now, Things are still escalating, not diminishing at all. So um, until un, un, until we start seeing the uh, um, the curve heading in the other direction, uh, it, you know, we're just we're not going to see any uh, positive movement on any of the, the sporting fronts. So yep, and you know, I, I'll just say we're going to keep doing episodes. I mean, if they do cancel the season. At some point, we might take a couple weeks off because we normally would do that when the season ended anyway. But as long as they're still, we'll still keep doing these. And and if you you know need a distraction, we can keep doing them during the off season too. But but we're gonna keep as long as there's yeah and not a canceled season, we'll keep and going. And even if they do, even if they do cancel the season, there'll still be some things we can cover. There will still be the draft in some form. There will still be you know, free agency and that sort of thing too. Um, at some point, teams are going to have to start doing some trades. Uh, I mean, the the roster freezes ended this past week, and the Blackhawks did sign a couple of their prospects. They did extend a couple of players. Um, you know, no major signings, but uh, – as far as the two prospects, they did sign Evan Barrett out of Penn State, who was a third-round pick a couple of years ago, um, has had a nice career in the Big Ten. Uh, probably not the most dynamic player, but 
everybody seems to think that he's going to end up being a, a pretty solid bottom six guy with some offensive upside. Um, not the quickest guy in the world. That seems to be what uh, the, the major concern is, but um, a smart player and, and, and has some skills. So that that bodes well. And then they did also sign... Um, uh, oh, boy. Uh, Alte Barmakin from Russia. Um, I'm going to butcher that name probably many a times. Uh, it's it's actually fairly easy to pronounce. It just doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he's another kind of probably third-line guy with uh, a little bit of offensive upside. He was, he was one of the better young players in the KHL. Um, unfortunately, the, the Hawks' best prospect over there, um, uh, Artur Kayamov, uh, who they drafted in the second round a couple of years ago, did re-up with his uh, KHL team for the next two seasons. He's, he, he's kind of the guy that they have over there that might project more as like a second-line type player. But maybe after those two years, uh, he'll be in a position where he could come straight into the NHL as opposed to um, like Alter Barmakian, who will likely need a year or two in the AHL before we're going to see him. So, yeah, uh, I, I'd love to see Ian Mitchell sign. Um, I, that's that's the one one piece of good news that I would love to see happen here pretty soon. But as of now, there still hasn't been any movement on that front. Um little bit of concern there that he might be the guy that ends up walking away at the end of this but um i i I still think it'll probably happen but we'll see yep so with that little bit of current news out of the way we i did another poll and uh the results were the black ox ducks game seven of 2015 western conference finals but um i we're gonna do a little change up here because the actual game seven of the Western Conference Finals was a little bit anticlimactic. But this series was, I mean, I'm, you know, I've watched, yeah, this was a crazy series. So yeah. we're just, yeah, we're going to do a little recap of the series and, and we will, you know, freeze the points and talk about individual things. So uh, the Ducks were the higher seed in the series. Like, you know, I should, again, or lack of research, but I didn't look up exactly where the Blackhawks finished that year, but... Um, uh, the Hawks were third in the Central, so... Okay. You know, this that that wasn't their... Uh, so I, I think they would have either been the four or the five seed. I can't remember exactly, but yeah, it wasn't... Uh, it, it was definitely them on the downswing a little bit. This wasn't one of their... Do- their you know, 2010 and 2013, they were the best teams in the league uh, both of those years. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was definitely more of a top-heavy <clears throat> squad um, where the, the the core group was still um, good enough to, to, to get them where they needed to go. But a lot of this was more... Um, uh, very heavy reliance on those guys and in, in the depth throughout the roster, especially on the back end, was sorely lacking. Yes, and this was also, of course, the crazy um, Nashville series where Scott Darling had to come in and 
and save uh, Corey Crawford, but um, yep. did they play the Wild in the second round? I'm trying to... Yeah, they, they ran through the Wild. That was the, yes. the sweep of the Wild where... Yeah, I think they were just riding high after that Nashville series where, you know, they were on the brink of uh, of uh, just kind of crapping out in the first round. And, uh, you know, Darling gave them a boost and then Crawford came back in and, and that they were just playing really well by the end of that series. And then they went into Minnesota and you, it, it was just like they had no fear. And Minnesota was still you know that a team where we kind of talked about it last week with like the mental block um trying to get past certain teams and you could just kind of tell in that series that the wild kind of didn't didn't have an answer for the blackhawks and the blackhawks just had their number and it it just it was a pretty dominant series so yes so now the ducks of course had won the either first or second i think they won the pacific that year and The series began in Anaheim, and it was, you know, kind of a flat first game for the Blackhawks. Uh, the Ducks won, I believe it was 4-1 to one or 4-2, to two, but they were mm-hmm. in pretty pretty safe command of that game from the start, and it was not a good effort. So the Blackhawks, of course, losing the first game on the road, all you need is a split. So they went into game two, and my God, was this a wild game. Um uh, it went triple overtime. Uh, if, if I'm trying to remember the exact details, I think the Blackhawks had the lead and gave it up a couple times in this game. I think the Ducks battled back, but yeah. not. And I'm, it was you know in the triple overtime. It was late into the night. Remember, because this was mm-hmm. a it was a game played in Anaheim, so it was you know for the. Central time zone, folks. This was a, a 9.30 start, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was at a sports bar watching this because at the time mm-hmm. I didn't have cable. And uh, so it came to be bar closing time at 2 a.m. and the game was still going on. And the uh, the bartender uh let me kept stay. Let me stay a little bit late. We finished. I think it was the second overtime. We finished that, and he was just like, "Hey, I, you know, we can't, we can't stay any later." I was just like, "Okay." So I actually had to finish listening to this game in the radio on my way back home. Yeah, and we, this was this was late, and it was late in the third overtime that yeah. it was finally mm-hmm. decided. I mean, this was like up there with the um, when I was a kid. I remember watching. The Flyers play the Penguins in like a five overtime game, but that game had started at six p.m. or whatever. So, yeah, this was this was crazy. But finally, in the third overtime, Brett Seabrook, who else, fired a shot towards the net, didn't get to the net. It hit his teammate Marcus Kruger standing in front of the net, and Kruger, after the first whack didn't go in, the second whack did, and the Blackhawks were able to tie the series at one. So. But yeah, it was a crazy game. So yeah. then, of course, they went back to Chicago for the third and fourth game of the series, and another the very hard game three. Yes, Q's unfinest hour, probably the uh, the decision to scratch Tavo and Antoine Vermette coming off of a victory, a team that was 
lacking in depth and we're going to scratch two of your third line players to put uh um boy i don't even remember who started in their place i think it was joachim nordstrom and somebody i don't know it was just a disastrous decision yeah i, I forgot about that yeah god yeah that so, was awful so obviously the black eye did not win this game um they did battle, you know, battle hard in this game. The Ducks jumped out early, but, you know. Well, hey, you know, it's amazing. Blackhawks couldn't score when you take away your scoring depth. I know, crazy. It <laughs> wasn't a, a, it was a two-to-one game. Um, yeah, it was 1-1 for a long time. The Ducks took the lead, and they just were able to hold on. It was, you know, Frederick Anderson not did not get a lot of, you know, hard chances against him, so, but. Of course, he did have a rather rough moment a little later in the series. But, um, yeah, this is just a very low-scoring, not very effective effort for the Blackhawks, and they uh, went down in the series 2-1. to one. So that led us to Game 4. A, you don't want to say a must-win because they were still, still would only be 3-1 down, but with two more games in Anaheim, it, it behooved them to win this game for, and... This was a wild game again. Mm-hmm. The Blackhawks jumped up to a two nothing lead. The Ducks babbled back and tied it, and then uh, the Ducks took the lead. No, no, it was three to two Blackhawks. So they scored again to take the lead. Then the Ducks scored two goals in about what a minute and a half in the third period to jump out to a four three lead, and it was not looking good for the Blackhawks, but. They were able to score late in the in the period with the goalie, you know, not pulled yet, but getting close to that time. And yeah, Kane on the power play. Yes, a very nice goal. And um, so was that the that was the backhand, right? I'm trying to remember which. I think so. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head, but you know, it was just another one of those late Patrick Kane goals to send the Blackhawks to overtime. You know, it wasn't final minutes or anything like we've seen so many times with him, but it was just one of those times where, you know, Patrick Kane, I I remember thinking he wasn't having a very good game, Mm -hmm. but like we've seen with him so many times, it almost doesn't matter what he does for the first 55 minutes or whatever. It's those those last five, he can usually turn it on and, and turn a negative game into a, oh, hey, he just scored the game-tying or game-winning goal sort of efforts. And, yeah, that, exactly. was, that was one of them. Yeah, because I can't remember. There was a, a, he had a ridiculous back-end goal, but it was either game four or game six. It was one at home. But either way, they tied the score at four, and we went to overtime again. Double overtime again. And, you know, you know, after game three, Vermette and Teravainen were reinserted in the lineup. And wouldn't you know, the game-winning goal was scored by Antoine Vermette on a just... Assisted by Tavo. <laughs> yep. It was a... He got way off to the side of the net. A rough, a, you know, tough angle. His first shot was kind of stopped, but he was able to roof a backhand from a tough angle and get it. Just inside the net, and the Blackhawks, again in dramatic fashion, were able to tie the series at 2-2, and uh, the game, re- the series returned to Anaheim. And this, by the way, if we were going to focus on a single game in the series, this game coming up, Game 5, 
would probably be the game because it featured one of the most miraculous comebacks in Blackhawks history, and then they lost the game. So, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. Oh, I, I can let you do this one, Michael, because it was just—it's an amazing game. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely one of those ones where, you know, just during the the cup years, there you always kind of had a sense, even like in 2011 when they weren't very good, the core was so good at willing them back into games. And this just kind of seemed like it had the markings of one of those games where the the Hawks fell behind 3 nothing in the first, and then in the second they started chipping away. Tara Vinen scored, um, and then Seabrook scored with that, that third line where they, they reconstructed it with Vermette, Tara Vinen, and Patrick Sharp. And those three guys uh, combined on those two goals with Seabrook getting the second one um, off an assist from those guys. And then Anaheim uh, looked like they might have put it away with a goal uh, kind of midway through the third uh, to make it 4-2, to two, but... Jonathan Taves just kind of, it, it kind of like the 2011 series against Vancouver. It was just like he decided he, the Blackhawks were not going to lose this game, and he scored two goals late in the third period. Uh, I just remember going nuts, <laughs> but unfortunately, it ended up also being like that 2011 Vancouver series where he got it to overtime, but the Hawks' hopes were quickly dashed um, once the OT began and Matt Bolesky scored um, right away and uh, kind of took the air right out of the sails. But it was a crazy game, like you said, and uh, uh, it, it, it seemed deflating um, at the time. I do remember thinking, oh, boy, maybe this this is kind of it. The, the There was definitely... I felt like boy, you know, this was maybe their last gasp. Like, the core, we're leaning on him so hard, and Taves did everything he could to get this game into overtime, but the depth just wasn't there with this team. I mean, you had Kimo Tiemann barely playing as the sixth defenseman. They had been playing Kyle Kumiski. They, I think it was at this, was this the game... I don't need. I, no, I think it might have been the next game where they they went the desperation route and brought David Runeblad back in. Mm-hmm. Just to, oh man, it was. Um, we kind of talked about it last week where Roosevelt, um, yeah, which was up been their their stabilizing that's, force. Yeah, I was gonna and, ask. I was gonna ask was Runeblad the one you couldn't remember his name last week? Yes. That, yeah, okay. I can never remember his name for whatever reason, but yeah, he. Uh, yeah, once once Roosevelt went out, their third pairing just completely disintegrated, and yeah, it was usually Comiskey and Tiemann, and the the Hawks were just sheltering them as much as they possibly could. Q was only putting them out there like offensive zone faceoffs, um, and just trying to get them out there, get them off the ice as quickly as possible. They were usually playing like five or six minutes a game if it was like regulation length. Um, just 
just awful play. And uh, they were just basically getting um, cratered in possession every time those guys were out there. Um, well, I, I will fully but, admit, I will fully admit that I was watching these highlights and I saw Runblatt and I basically blocked him out of my mind. Because last week you were well, saying, the Swedish, and I was thinking, who are you talking about? And then I saw him in this highlight and I went, yeah. oh my God, that's who he meant. I forgot about him. Well, remember, he had gone back to Europe that year um he uh the i'm trying to remember what exactly i think the blackhawks had loaned him to a european team because he kind of got squeezed off the roster during the year yeah i think it was like the the swiss league or something yeah something uh, but once roosevelt went out they were just like in desperate need and his season had ended in europe and they were like geez we just we need a body and they brought him back and you know, he didn't end up playing any worse than Comiskey or Timonen did. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it eventually got to the point where um, uh, Trevor Van, Re- Van Riemsdyk, who had gotten hurt early in the year and had been out for months, kind of did like uh, uh, Kyle Schwarber and came back in the finals despite not having played in forever um, unfortunately, he, he did not have the performance that Schwarber did, um, where TVR was basically just as bad as the other guys on that third pairing. But yeah, I mean, like I had said, it, I, it, this was a series where I was just like, boy, maybe they're just, we're just going to, there's just nothing left in the tank for these, you know, these core guys. I mean, Hosa was slowing down at that point. Um, Oduya was barely hanging on. Jalmerson wasn't playing all that great. Uh, Seabrook was starting to fade a little bit. Um, yeah, it was just, oh, and you know, it, the, the depth up front, Brian Bickle had a terrible playoffs. Everybody was just like, what the heck is happening with this guy? Of course, we didn't find out for a couple of years that this was most likely the season where his MS sort of kicked in. Um, and he was... Uh, beginning to struggle with that. Um, but uh, Christopher Stieg had fallen off at that point, mm-hmm. and he was in and out of the lineup during the playoffs. Uh, you were, you basically had, uh, um, oh boy, Brad Richards had mm-hmm. been brought in for, you know, one last go round in his career, kind of like uh, um, Michael Hanzus had been brought in the, the, the couple years before. Uh, just kind of to be a passenger on on Kane's line, just be smart and don't do anything stupid. Let Kane be Kane, and did enough, but you know wasn't dynamic in any sense. Sharp was starting to fall off a little bit. This was probably Andrew Shaw's worst year as a Blackhawk. Um, I think he only had like fourteen or fifteen goals or something that year. Just yeah, the the depth just wasn't there with this team. Uh, but fortunately, the the uh, you know those core guys, or at least the the big three with Taves, Kane, and Keith. Um, yeah, they still have a still, little bit left. Yeah, still riding high with those three guys, and then you still you know Hosa and, and Seabrook and Jalmerson and a few others uh, were still playing just well enough. And then after you got through that Nashville series, Crow played pretty well the rest of the way. Well, yeah, but. so I will add a couple thoughts I had on this Game 5, and 
this is right. Well, I'll tell people and that I didn't when the Bruins, you know, the miracle at the end with the Blackhawks scoring twice to beat the Bruins. I watched every bit of that, but the Ducks just bugged me so bad when they scored that goal with about six or seven minutes left to go up two goals. I got so frustrated after mm. about like the three minute mark. I'm like, I don't want to watch the Ducks win this game, so I turned it off. And then Twitter just went crazy. And I was like, but then I was like, well, they got one, you know, they got one goal, so whatever. And then Tave scored again. I'm like, well, God, now I have to put it on. But <laughs> <laughs> And then you saw the immediate loss. And then immediate the loss, yes. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. let's just say, like, in all-time history, though, oh, man, Frederick Anderson got so saved because that goal he allowed to Taves to tie the game might have mm. been the worst big game goal I've ever seen. It was yeah, like... Yeah, and... Oh, go ahead. No, no, I'll let you... I was just going to say, and he had been pretty strong um, through the, the beginning part of the series. Uh, the Hawks were having some trouble with him, and then it was like once he gave up that goal, he just kind of collapsed the rest of the way. Um, it just kind of really... It, it really seemed to deflate him and you know it was kind of unfortunate in that overtime where the ducks were able to score so quickly because I, I think at that point Anderson was just in his own head and if the Blackhawks had been able to mount any kind of offense um, and get any kind of attack going on him I think they could have uh, scored on him relatively easily but unfortunately you know it just it ended so quickly and uh, they didn't get that opportunity until game six. But, yeah, it was to go from playing pretty well, just let in that one soft goal, and then from that point on, he just he just never was the same. So uh, the Blackhawks returned home, down three games to two, you know, do or die. And this game was one where the Blackhawks really pushed the play, but they jumped off to, to um, a lead of, 2 nothing lead. The Ducks scored to make it 2-1, but then they immediately scored to make it 3-1. But then the Ducks came on pretty strong in the third period, and they scored to make it 3-2, and you were thinking, hmm, this is getting a little tight, but uh, Andrew Shaw, who, as you were saying, had not been playing very good in this playoff series, uh, was able yeah. to score a goal with about three minutes left to give the Blackhawks a 4-2 lead, and pushed the series to seven games. I don't really have much to add about this game, except the Blackhawks were playing very well in this game, and they deserve to win. Yeah, again, though, I I, I think a, a, a big part of it was Anderson wasn't good in this game, <laughs> and I think, yeah, it just, it seemed like any time the Blackhawks really put any kind of pressure on him after that, they were they they were able to kind of to break through on him and uh yeah i mean thankfully they got out to the big lead uh, cuz cuz Anaheim did did have a little bit of pushback in them it almost kind of felt like again where it's just like the blackhawks kind of wearing down and you know they were relying so heavily on a few guys and they just you worried at the end of games uh, on all of these that they were just going to run out of gas. But thankfully, uh, that fourth line uh, with Andrew Shaw, um, Desjardins, and Marcus Kruger um, 
managed to, to come through big in that third period and, um, you know, extend the lead, get the insurance that they needed, and, yeah, headed, headed to Game 7. And now this Game 7 is, I'm going to ask you and your opinion, but this really felt like the Ducks just no-showed this game. Like, maybe they were scared of the Blackhawks' reputation I, for a big game, but they just had a very flat effort in this game. Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both. I think there was a little bit of the Blackhawks. Uh, Jonathan Taves ended up having a big game like he usually did in Game 7s, that sort of thing. And I so I think there was a little bit where the Blackhawks entered with a little bit of confidence. The Ducks were maybe kind of trying to feel their way through early on. But again, Anderson was terrible and the Blackhawks scored early. And I think whatever little amount of, you know, that fragility that the Ducks had was just quickly just broken broken down as soon as the Blackhawks scored a couple of goals and Anderson wasn't looking like he was going to um, be able to come through. And from that point on, it was just Anaheim just did, didn't seem to have the fight in them that they needed. It was almost like it seemed inevitable at that point. And, yeah, I mean, you know, the Hawks just kept scoring. And, you know, it's not like the, the Ducks didn't – the Ducks did end up fighting back. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, you get your back against the wall and, um, you know, they – they definitely did push, and you know, the Hawks were certainly in the position where they were. They stopped being quite as aggressive once they built up a four four goal lead. It was almost like they were mm-hmm. just trying to hang on. But um, yeah, it just you know it wasn't enough from the Ducks, and then you know again you get the late goal from the Hawks to provide some insurance. You know, clutch. Another clutch player, you know, with with Brent Seabrook coming through with another big goal for the team, and yeah, I just uh, to me it really just came down to that, like you said, with that game five where Anderson let in that soft goal and he just he was he just collapsed. <laughs> you know, we've yeah. seen that with goalies in the past. I, it, it 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 happens. They lose their confidence uh, sometimes when that when that soft one goes in and yeah it just kind of felt from that point between him playing poorly and the Blackhawks core with their experience and their confidence in themselves that yeah it was just from that point on you could it was like they smelled blood and they they really took it to them well I was gonna say yeah the final was um five to two well five to three the Ducks scored with like I don't know 10 seconds left to make it five to three but yeah Taves had scored immediate, like, in the start early in the first period, and then Saad got a goal, and then uh, Hosa drove the net and kind of kicked it in, but it wasn't a kicking motion, so the goal counted. But yeah, they the big thing I took away from this though was um I can't remember why I left the room like momentarily, just for a little bit before when Taves scored, and there was a roar in the crowd, and for a second I thought, oh man. The Blackhawks gave up the first goal, and I went out there, and I remembered, oh, no, 75% of the crowd are Blackhawks fans. The, the mm-hmm. you know, road ice advantage that they had in this game was just crazy, hearing the yeah. roars of the crowd after 
every goal was amazing. Yeah, and I, I just pulled up the stats from the game too because I, I I wanted to uh, um, check on something that was in the back of my mind trying to remember. And it was like, yeah, the Hawks built up a 4 nothing lead in this game. And so you think, oh, okay, you know, maybe they can uh, uh, not – not push their core guys quite so much and, and give them a little bit of a rest. But still in this game, even building up a 4-0 lead, uh, Kyle Comiskey, 8 minutes and 31 seconds of ice time. David Runblot, 5 minutes and 35 mm-hmm. seconds. So their third pairing was barely on the ice despite having a 4 nothing lead halfway through the game. And that just speaks to just how desperately thin they were mm-hmm. and you know this this obviously you know built up a big of the a big part of the Duncan Keith legend um you know I he, he he'd win the finals MVP that year or the the playoff MVP that year and you know I think we get we we remember more of what he did in the Tampa Bay series in the cup finals um, just how how reliant the team was on him at that point, but it wasn't just in the Cup Finals. He was doing that uh, throughout most of the playoffs, but it really started in this Anaheim series where they just they had so little faith in anybody else that Keith was at any important thing. He was he was in the middle of it. Um, and yeah, so yeah, he played 27 minutes and 51 seconds, and those other guys barely played. And yeah, I mean, geez, Brian Bickle played f- eight shifts, four minutes and 22 mm-hmm. seconds. Yeah, that's uh, you, you just. You, this was unlike the other Blackhawks Cup teams, where they could roll four lines and three defensive pairings and still feel pretty confident with no matter no matter who they put out there this was a completely different experience for them but thank you yeah they, they they really gutted it out is basically yeah yep. and yeah as we've already i'm sure um if there's anyone listening to this that doesn't know the black Eyes were going to win the stanley cup they <laughs> did and you know uh, the next year they you know got in the series against nashville and basically what almost happened in 2015, then did happen, you know, in the next couple of years, yeah. where they just weren't ready to, you know, they just I, couldn't handle. It. I thought I thought they gave St. Louis a pretty good series. They did. I thought, I thought by that point, I, I I wasn't disappointed in the effort in the St. Louis series. I just I think we had gotten to the point where the Blackhawks were just simply no longer, you know, the the favored team, the, the the team with more skill than anybody else, um, you the the matchups became much more even, and I think you you did start to see some of those core guys with a lot of mileage on them. They didn't have that last extra little bit to 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 give anymore. They were a half a step slower, and you know you saw the. Um, this uh, I've mentioned it before, where this this 2015 team 
Seabrook had already kind of dropped from being a first pairing guy to being a second pairing guy. And I think that was kind of, this was kind of his last gasp as even a second pairing guy. Uh, Jalmerson had likewise dropped from being a first pairing defenseman to a second pairing defenseman. And it wasn't very long after that where he stopped, you know, where he, I, I don't, I've kind of lost track a little bit with him. Uh, with the Coyotes, but obviously the injuries he's had, um, all the sh- block, shots that he blocked, all the huge hits that he took, um, willing to sacrifice his body to make plays, um, he just he, he he was never really the same after this. And this was also kind of the last. Uh, Oduya was done after this mm-hmm. as well. Um, and even for Keith, this was his last gasp as an elite. You know, yeah, for um, being the number one. Yeah, the, at this after that, he kind of was still a first pairing guy for a couple of years, but you know, he was no longer the um, uh, just guy that could get them out of trouble. Could no longer carry a bad defenseman on his other side if they needed mm-hmm. to. I, this was the end of his basically his Norris caliber play. Yeah, so and I, you know, I always space that St. Louis series. I don't know why. Yeah. I always, I always jump from uh, winning the Stanley Cup to the sweep by the Predators. I always miss that that year right. in between with the Blues. I don't know why. Um, yeah, I think it does get lost in the shuffle a little bit, just because I, I, I honestly think. It was a very straight-up series. I don't feel like the Blackhawks played poorly. I don't feel like, you know, to me it was almost kind of like the the 2014 Western Conference Finals against the Kings. It was a hard-fought series. Yeah, almost like you you tip your hat to, like, they're really good. Yeah, the Blues played well in that series, I thought. And, uh, you know, I think it's just like the... 2014 I I think it could have gone either way but hey it went to the blues Uh, you know like you said just tip your hat to them I I I I have no issue with the Blackhawks effort in that series unlike the Nashville series where um you know I the the Blackhawks finishing first in the conference that season and entering as the one seed that was definitely a mirage. They were mm-hmm. not that good. There was a lot of underlying statistics that that pointed to them not being that good. Um, that they were very much more a middle of the pack team, um, and it was just they were not able to mount any kind of sustained pressure against a Nashville team that was that always played them very well. Uh, I mean, 2010 Nashville gave them more trouble than just about anybody um and then again in 2015 both of those first round series you know nashville almost almost took it away from them again and you know finally in that 2017 series they just they wiped the floor with the blackhawks and swept them out and yeah uh you know for them that i never really thought about it in the same way that i did with vancouver but you know the Hawks had definitely been mm-hmm. kind of the stumbling block for the the Predators for a while, and I think it's because you had with with Vancouver it was three successive seasons. You know the Blackhawks knocked them out twice, and then finally Vancouver was able to overcome the Hawks. 
um, the following year. Whereas with Nashville, it was 2010, and then they didn't meet for a couple of years, and then the Hawks beat them again in 2015, and then another year went by, and then finally Nashville got over the hump against them. But mm-hmm. it was, you know, it was the only three times that those two teams had faced off. Um, and yeah, you know, eventually, eventually those teams are going to get you. Um, you know, the, the, like I said, this 2015 was really the last hurrah for the Hawks. They, mm-hmm. they, they probably could have sustained it had they made a couple of different decisions, obviously. Uh, Tavo. 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 Well, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I know people will, will say, oh, they didn't have to trade Bickle. They absolutely had to trade Bickle yes. with the situation that they were in. Once they, once they were locked into the Seabrook contract, it, they, that was really the, the thing. Once they were locked into that, they, they absolutely had to trade Brian Bickle and they had no leverage would I have preferred that they send like a first round draft pick along with Bickle as opposed to a first round draft pick who had already been proven to be a decent player? Absolutely, I wish they would have done that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, or you know, the other thing would have been, you know, it would have been awesome if the the in those two years that Bickle was degrading with the Hawks, if his medical diagnosis had been able to come through sooner because then they could have just put him in IR and mm-hmm. avoided the whole thing. But unfortunately, it didn't happen until, like, what was it, like a month into the season with Carolina where they finally figured out what was going on with him. Something like um, that, yeah. Yeah. So it was just, yeah. I mean, a, a, a lot of little things kind of compounded. Um, you know, and, and again... Uh, you know, a lot of it was the contract related, and not just the Seabrook deal, but you know, Taves and Kane. Mm-hmm. I, I don't blame any of these guys for going out and getting top market value, but you know, you did you do see it with other teams where it ends up, um, you know, like Pittsburgh, uh, Crosby and and Malkin. They they took a little less to stay and try and build teams around mm-hmm. them. Uh, Taves and Kane, I think they got a lot of pressure from the league because they were kind of the poster boys, and the mm-hmm. union um, really wanted to get as much as possible. And at that point, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd won, they'd won everything and accomplished everything that they could. Um, but you, you add that on top of the Seabrook contract, and then, you know, somebody like Brandon Saad, who was a RFA at that point, um, you know, again, in some situations, you see guys take a little less, but he, him, and his, you know they he wanted to get full price. Hawks weren't going to be able to full, but weren't going to be able to afford that, forcing the trade. Um, and then, unfortunately, I to this day I still don't understand the. Um, I don't have a problem with getting Artem Anisimov in exchange mm-hmm. for Brandon Saad, but the immediate yeah five five year deal. Yeah. I, I, it didn't make sense and, then. And maybe, it doesn't make maybe, sense then. Maybe it would have ended up the same way in the end because I was just like, okay, you're you're getting this guy to be Patrick Kane's center and you think it's going to work. And it did that first year. So maybe they would have ended up giving him the same extension anyway. Mm-hmm. But, but it would have been, just, you know, 
Don't give him the extension, and then you might have had a little room to keep, you know, Artemi Panarin, who's when the right. top. It ruined their flex. Top ten, yeah. Really. Yeah. Top ten it, players in the NHL now, so. Yeah, I, uh, it just it. Just a couple of those little things compounded on them, and yeah, you know. There was just those well, couple of years there where Bowman didn't make any of the right yeah, decisions. Just, really, it seemed like. Okay. Well, like we could, we could do this all day, but yeah, we've gone like fifty minutes, so I'm thinking. Yeah. But yeah, the so again, this we'll talk about more games, more classic series, and yeah, this was this was good. So, um, Michael, your Twitter, MJ underscore Ernst. I'm at sth85 and. Yeah, if you keep subscribing to the podcast and the Apple iTunes app and stuff, and yeah, this was the Blackhawks were good once, and we have hockey once, so those are two things that were true. So uh, I hope everyone out there keeps staying safe, keep social distancing, and hopefully at some point soon we'll have hockey sometime. So thank you for listening. <laughs>